Welcome to the podcast of Grace and Peace Church. These are the teachings from our Sunday gatherings. We are supported by listeners like you who find value in the mission of discipleship. If you'd like to give financially, check out our website, our Instagram, or our Facebook for the giving tab. And thank you for partnering with us and keeping the mission alive. Grace and peace to you. Yeah, so welcome. Uh, we are going through Lent. This is the first week of Lent, which is kind of exciting. So um, I would just invite you just to open up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preface this with like, I got a lot of passages that we're going to read. Um, I want to apologize, but not apologize, um, but just maybe warn you. Um, there's a bit to go through because we're going to talk about forgiveness and hypocrisy. And when I started studying this because we're using a Lent guide, um, I was like, "How did the, what's the connection? Started wrestling with it, and then it just blew my mind. And I started to see just what God is doing through those two being tied together, forgiveness and hypocrisy, and, um, and how those are so intertwined, and, and I hope I can give it um, new meaning, um, depth to it um, as we break into it for the next, whatever, 30 minutes. Um, it's powerful. It's, it's life-changing. When we talk about freedom and the fact the Holy Spirit like, led you to like, choose these songs about freedom, I believe that when we really dig into forgiveness you find freedom, and it then trickles into hypocrisy because then we begin to remove that in our lives because we see things. So that's, that's where we're headed, but I'm going to unpack that, and we'll, we'll talk about it. So uh, the passage is Matthew 6, um, 9 through 18. Uh, Lord's Prayer is the first portion of that, and the second portion is about fasting. And so Lent is a season of fasting. It is a season of prayer. It is a season of giving up certain things. I did a post this week um, just kind of pointing out that it can be a challenge, but it can also be very good. Um, and the fact that on Sundays, we get to celebrate. Um, as we lead 40 days from Ash Wednesday to Easter, um, you, if you do the math, if you go through and count it, you're like, wait, that's not 40 days. What's going on? Sundays are off days. Sundays are celebration. Um, you you remove that fast. I'm looking at Ryan right now because he's like, wait, is there chocolate? Um, <laughs> so uh, now everybody knows what you've given up. Uh, <laughs> lost all its glory. Um, yeah, it's good. But, um, but Sunday is, is, is a day of, it's Sabbath, right? It's, it's rest. It's not meant to be, uh, which what we do during Lent is a challenge. It's something you do that you take up things that are difficult. You're surrendering things. You're laying things down. And um, our God is a God of rest and a God that, that wants to push us and challenge us, but also recognize that we need rest and we need time to, to be encouraged and eat some chocolate. And yeah, it's a good thing. So um, just want to point that out and let's read. Let's dig into Matthew and, um, and then we'll unpack it. So this then is how you should pray. You might be familiar with this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is a key line that I think really shapes where we're going and what we're talking about. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your fa heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. 
It's pretty serious. Now he goes into fasting. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. When it says disfigure, it's like they try and look all just like, look how rough it is, look how difficult it is for me to be giving these things up. Um, Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full because people look at them and go, oh, look how holy you are. You're awesome. Like you're doing godly things. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face or, I don't know, wash your face, lotion, I don't know, something more modern. Um, So that it will be obvious to others that you, uh, it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. It's cool that there's a reward, right? That there's, there's something that happens in that interaction when we give things up and begin to have that, um, that moment. So um, to set the stage for this, I want to use something that was recent that um, became kind of controversial that um, maybe you're familiar with. So how many of you guys watch Super Bowl? Okay. Um, did your team win? <laughs> a little bit. We're, we're splitting here. Um, it's all staged. Stage. Doesn't matter. Um, how many watch just for commercials? Okay, it's just me. Um, no. So the commercials typically are pretty hilarious. Um, but this year there was one that I think they've done in the past, kind of this vibe. But um, I don't know if you guys saw the He Gets Us. Okay, ad that. Um, it was interesting to see because when I initially saw it, it's different people washing different, um, I guess, groups of people um, washing other people's feet. And the idea is that Jesus loves everyone, right? So regardless of their background, their race, their tribe, their sexual orientation, all of that stuff, thousand percent for that. And that's what we see in it. And when you, when you see it happening, you see people washing um, different tribes feet basically like people in our culture that we would say like don't hang out together don't typically have coffee together right and so when it was done I was like oh that was rad like that's cool they did that you know days later you see all the backlash you see all the social media posts about like that was so wrong they could have used all that money for feeding the homeless or whatever it is you know like all the controversial things that come behind it and like the criticism of the church which it was like the owner of Hobby Lobby that did that ad, I guess. So it wasn't even the church. Well, I guess it's the church, but the church gets credit for it in some ways. But um, the whole idea behind it was like, great. Like, it was like, he gets us. Like, this is the message of the gospel. This is the message of God loving us. Um, and then the world twists it, no matter what you do, in some way. And you could criticize anything that somebody does in some like generous, loving, kind way. You'll find something wrong with it, right? Um, and so what we see in our culture is... This message sometimes that creeps in that says God gets us, that he loves us, but he doesn't care about how the rest of your life unfolds, right? And that's what I think a lot of criticism came from the church side of it was like, yeah, he gets us, but he also does something to transform us. He doesn't just leave us where we're at. And, um, and so, of course, any gospel message, anything you do to try and love somebody, if it's step one in the gospel, it's going to be missing a lot of the conversation because you haven't had the rest, the rest of the conversation, right? You can't fit that all in a like 10-second Super Bowl ad or whatever it is. So, yeah, it's great. Yeah, it has problems. Yeah, there's probably critique you could throw in there, sure. But anything you do would have that. And so my, my pushback is to really begin to see that um, 
does God care? Yes. Does God, I'm using that as kind of like a backdrop, like, is that message right? Yes. Um, does God love people? Yes. Um, what we're going to see here as we talk about forgiveness and hypocrisy is he doesn't leave us where we're at, is that we begin to see a development that happens. And if God cares about people that are suffering, that are struggling, that have hurts, pains, destructive things that have happened to them, then yes, we should care about those people as well. 1,000%, right? I know that's not correct mathematically, but yes, we should care, right? Like we should have that same heart. But it continues, that rescue. I talked about this last week, that, um, that what Jesus is trying to do is rescue us from ourselves a lot of times. Rescue us from sin, rescue us from what's going on in the destructive patterns of this world, right? In the prayer that Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, he says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because there's clearly a way that we do on earth that doesn't line up with what heaven does. There's something, there's a distinction that happens that Jesus wants to invite us into and then really starts to unleash this whole thing of like forgiveness. Give us simply our daily bread. And so that's what we're going to dig into. And so that rescue approach that Jesus has here is what he invites us to do. That now we are invited to not only be rescued, but then be rescuers. Not that we do all the work, that Jesus works through us, but we get to be participants in that. And what happens is the moment we become prideful and think that somehow we are the ones that are rescuing, we begin to want the credit for it. We begin to want the attention for it. And it begins to skew it. And we forget that it's really Jesus doing the work. Um, and so as we talk about this journey of Lent, um, of laying things down, this passage on forgiveness and this context that Jesus talks about forgiveness in um, is sandwiched with hypocrisy, right? And there's a reason for that. The reason is giving to the poor, prayer, fasting, all have an oppor opportunity to be corrupted by hypocrisy. Doing generous things, doing things out of a good heart can all be corrupted in some way. And so last week I spoke about giving in secrecy. Anybody take that challenge? Uh, maybe you don't want to blow your cover because you're supposed to do it in secret, right? Um, but I want you to think about it. If you did do it, um, if you didn't, you got this week and the rest of your life to do it. Um, but giving in secrecy, I spoke about that and then the challenge that happens because then we instantly want to get credit for it. We instantly want to somehow at least get some attention for the fact that we did something generous to someone else. And, um, and I've been thinking about this, and I wonder if, like, the modern, I guess, like, public street corner to talk about these kind of things um, is, is social media. Um, it's where we can post that we are generous, that we are, I don't know, social justice warriors in some way, that we've done something great, um, that we're holy and caring for all other people. Um, which maybe you've heard the term virtue signaling, where it's like, I'm just telling everybody how great I am. Um, and I think social media has a way of really hijacking honest, generous love towards other people. Because then the moment we post it, we either get positive feedback or negative feedback, depending on the kind of people that follow us, right? Um, and so there can be a, a real quick um, 
I guess, satisfaction in doing things, posting them, and then getting a response. And, and I think what happens then is there begins to be a cynicism around generosity, love, doing kind things. That then people are like, oh, are you doing it for the right reasons? And this is where hypocrisy starts to come in. So Jesus offers this different approach. So in the beginning, like we see in the prayer, it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This idea of forgiveness, let's unpack it with a definition. Um, Throw it on the screen there. It says, the Bible teaches that unselfish love is the basis for true forgiveness since it keeps no records of wrongs, right? We see that in 1 Corinthians 13, 5. 1 Corinthians 13, it's like the, the chapter of like love, like true love. What does it look like? Love does not boast. Um, it is not prideful. It is not envious. Um, you go through the whole list. But it says it keeps no record of wrongs. Forgiving others means letting go of resentment and giving up any claim to be compensated for the hurt or loss we have suffered. In the Greek, forgiveness is literally translated to let go. And forgiveness, I want to point this out, is not reconciliation. This is is a big topic to unpack, but I'm going to simplify a little bit. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. Forgiveness takes one person. Reconciliation takes two people. Are we tracking? Forgiveness is literally you, how you handle things, how you begin to approach things. Some relationships will not be reconciled. Some things that have been wrong to us or things that we've done, those people may have passed away. They may be gone. They may have moved far off and you have no idea where they're at. There's no way to ever bring reconciliation. So this is where step one is forgiveness. It has to do with our heart. And it's one of the hardest things to do. So this is why I say, like, to talk about this in 30 minutes, I can't do it justice. But at least we can start to crack it open and and think about it this week Um, as we journey through Lent and we talk about really what does it look like to surrender our lives to what Jesus is doing? And forgiveness is just, it's, it doesn't come natural, does it? Those of you that have kids, you understand, and like if you even think back on your own self as a kid, um, we have every mechanism possible to try and avoid forgiveness, right? Like I watched my kids, and I, and I heard, um, I forget who it was that was talking about this, but... Um, talking about how our kids respond when they do something wrong or when they are wronged. There are three major things. The first thing is dismissing the problem. Act like nothing happened. I don't know what happened, right? I didn't do it. They just tripped and fell and somehow my hand hit them. I don't know what happened. Like, and they just dismiss it and they get very just like, oh, whatever. And you've, maybe you've met adults that have done the same thing, right? I don't know what happened. It's just, it, Things went wrong. Um, and then the second one is to downplay it. And they're like, what? Like, why is he crying? Like, it's not a big deal. Like, why are you making such a big deal out of nothing, right? Maybe you've heard that before. Or they're exaggerating. And then the third one is the blame shift, right? So it's like, yeah, they're exaggerating, whatever. But then they wrong me first. So I have every reason to be able to, like, punch them back. So like they stole my toy, so I get to steal their toy, right? 
And so maybe you've experienced this or if you watched parents deal with this, like the moment kids start fighting and you step in, the walls go up. The barriers go up of like, it's not me, like it's them. And, I, and I've been trying to like tactfully have these kind of conversations with my kids about like, I would love to see you just own it when you, when you do something wrong. That would like bring me joy. And I know it probably doesn't make sense to them, but I would love to see them just be like, yeah, you know what? I was just mean. And I was just, I'm tired and I'm hangry, you know? Like, I hope that that day comes, but that's going to take us modeling it, having these conversations about it. But like dismissing the problem, downplaying it, blame shift, apologies are even worse, right? Because when we was trying to get them to apologize, then they're like, sorry, you're so lame. <laughs> you know, like, sorry, you're a jerk to me, you know? And you know how that goes. It, it goes forever. But like the sorry with the eye roll, I don't know how to communicate that in a way to get them to understand it. Like the sorry with an eye roll doesn't mean you're sorry. It just means you're trying to get me off your back uh, as a parent. And I'm sorry you feel that way. It's not apology. You know, like we all know that. Um, and maybe you've had adults do this to you as well. Like, I'm sorry you feel this way, but here's what I did, what I did. Um, and it's somehow discrediting it or like undermining whatever happened. And so forgiveness is, it's a challenge, isn't it? For us as adults, like I have a really hard time with it all the time. So it's like, it takes hard work to say, yeah, I messed up. Um, forgiveness from, for some reason, it just strikes a nerve in us. Like we want to defend ourselves. We want to be right. We want to begin to like protect our ego, our, our perception, whatever it is. Like we try and do everything we can to hide. And forgiveness is that moment where we recognize I am broken. I need to apologize. I may have caused this problem. I may have a role in this and I need to own it. And it's challenging. That's a difficult, difficult thing to do. But Jesus talks about having real freedom in the Sermon on the Mount, where this passage comes from, continually teaches ways to experience freedom as a believer. So he's like teaching his disciples. He's teaching the crowd that's listening in and trying to distill down what does the kingdom of God look like in a way that is life-giving, that actually brings life about myself and, and about in my relationships with people. And so forgiveness is like this core thing that Jesus continually circles around because it is such a challenge for us. And it, yet on the flip side, it brings such healing, right? You've all experienced that person that's just like, you know what? Yeah, I'm so sorry. Like, tell me more about like how I could do this differently next time. Like how beautiful life-giving is that when you encounter that? I don't, I rarely encounter it like, Katie and I are working on that. <laughs> We're always trying to be better at that. But it's like when I've seen that and you see it modeled in other people, you're like, oh. yeah, actually, and let me own my part too, right? Because then you're like, the guards come down. You're not trying to like just battle even more. And it, something beautiful happens, something freeing that happens is just letting go of that control, letting go of that pain that maybe others have inflicted on us. And that's what Jesus is trying to do here continually, and so I'm going to get to the hypocrisy side of it here in a second, but I'm going to keep going on this forgiveness. Um, I've heard that forgiveness, unforgiveness only hurts you, right? Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Have you heard that before? 
We all head nod that and we go, yeah, yeah, I've heard that. Totally makes sense. Yet we put up the wall and the barrier. It's like, it just eats us up from the inside out. Um, this discipline of forgiveness, it's just so powerful. And, and I say it's a discipline because it doesn't come natural. It has to be a discipline just same way that, um, that working out or sports or your job, it, it requires a discipline to gain that knowledge, that understanding, that habit in our life so that it comes naturally out of us. So our natural response is, is forgiveness. Um, so Jesus, as we move from forgiveness into hypocrisy because they're tied together, I want to show you this. Um, later on in chapter 18, Matthew describes what that looks like to weave forgiveness and um, and hypocrisy together here. So watch this. So Matthew 18, 23 to 35. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold. Okay, so this is like, Jesus almost uses hyperbole here. It's like, it's a going extreme. 10,000 bags of gold. We can't even picture that right now, right? So it's, it's this insane amount that he could never repay, essentially. And it was brought to him. Um, this guy who owed that much was brought to him. As he began, uh, so he, since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children all um, been sold uh, to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. This is a key line. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Didn't deny it. Didn't like be like, well, you know, it's just a little bit of money. Can we just like call it even? You know, like it was just like, I'm, he's just broken in front of him. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt and let him go. So he recognized the debt and cancels it. But then when that servant went out, he found out that his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, we can easily picture that. We don't have to get into detail. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servants fell, servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. Sound familiar? But he refused. This is where it changes. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison uh, until he could pay back the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. I cut off the end of it a little bit because this is the, the point of it. This person who's been forgiven much then turns, forgets how much has been forgiven, and then goes and calls out the debt on the other person. That's hypocrisy, right? If that person knew and the other people knew it, that's why they're so outraged, because they saw the hypocrisy in that person. So the forgiveness in that moment could have been extended further, and yet it stopped because that person was like, man, I've been forgiven so much, quickly forgot and moved on, and then like didn't forgive the other person. So forgiveness plays this really crucial role in like society and how we, as Christians, we can't push this on other people, but as Christians, as we engage with people throughout the week that hurt us, wrong us, cut us off on the freeway, whatever it is, we have opportunity to begin to reflect the kingdom and what it looks like. When we don't, that's where the church looks like hypocrites. 
because we've been forgiven so much. We have a God who loves us deeply and says, I've rescued you from all of the pain, the sorrow, the struggle, the sin, the destructive patterns, whatever it is. I've rescued you out of that, and now you're going to go and call someone else out for it instead of extending that forgiveness and that love. Um, that's such a core like piece to who we are as believers, and that's why it's tied. And I know we probably don't think that those two are connected, but hopefully now you see it. Like for me, it was such an eye-opener to see how much hypocrisy is tied to forgiveness. That when we're unforgiving, we become hypocrites because then we, we go out and do things to other people that we wouldn't want them to do to us. And we don't forgive and release people from the debts or the wrongs that they've incurred, we've incurred from them. Um, and I don't need to get into the, like the real like science behind it, but I want to show you this. Psalm 32 says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. So the psalmist here says, when I kept silent and didn't do anything to bring forgiveness, my bones wasted away. It says, through my groaning all day long, for day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as the heat of the summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess, confess my transgressions to the Lord as you forgave the guilt of my sin. That like the moment you recognize that I, I need to just recognize that I've been forgiven of much, that I've been forgiven of all my sins, everything that I've done wrong, um, I can now be free. But the beginning of it was when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. And we've all either experienced how when someone's hurt us and we hold on to it, like squeeze your fist as hard as you possibly can right now and see how long that lasts and how tiring it gets to keep your fist that tight, right? It's not comfortable. And so like and when you release, you're like, oh, I'm shaky from doing that. And we've all met people that maybe have carried around those wrongs for years and years and years, and you still see that pain come up in their life because they tell that story over and over. Maybe you're that person. I know I have things in my life that I'm trying to let go of and say, you know what, I need to, I need to forgive that person. I need to let it go. I need to move on. It, it messes with us physically. Like, that's why I said, I'm not, I don't need to like go into the science and I was going to do all the research. And I was like, no, that's a waste of my 30 minutes that I get to talk with you guys because we all know that. We've all experienced that. If you've watched Napoleon Dynamite, you know about Uncle Rico. It's like, I could throw a pigskin quarter mile. Like, he's like still holding on to his high school like failures, right? Still going. We've all been there. Or we've known people that are really holding on to that. Um, sorry for that distraction. Um, <laughs> but we have to just acknowledge the hurt. We have to acknowledge it. And that's like step one in it is like acknowledge that there was hurt, that there is that pain, that maybe it still exists right now as we sit here and you still feel like um, the metaphorical like fist tight in your life, when you think of that person that's wronged you, that family member, that business deal, that person you worked with, that person that said something. Um, I remember things that people said from when I was younger. Like I can still recall them like 30 years later. I'm sure you have those too, right? But we have to let those go. We have to just be like, you know, those are done. That person has a hook on you that doesn't, that shouldn't be there, right? Acknowledge it and decide to release it. Ephesians 4.32 says, 
and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. That's like the simplest way I could put this sermon right here. Ephesians 4.32. If you want to write that down, if you want to highlight it, read it this week. That's it. You could sing it? We're going to close out with that song. (laughs) All right. Um, We have to move forward into that freedom uh, and no longer be bound by those things. And the analogy I want to leave you with is a fishing analogy. Ryan will get this. Some of you have been fishing. I don't hook and line fish very often. I'm I'm spearfishing. But with a hook and line fishing, you catch fish. You can catch fish that you want to catch. But there can also be fish that you don't want to catch. And when you're hooked into that fish that you don't want to catch, because I've caught in stingrays before, you don't want to catch stingrays. They will sting you. It's kind of obvious, right? Um, But you don't want them on your hook anymore. And to use that metaphor of like people that have wronged you, we can be hooked into those people for many, many years. And that struggle of like reeling on that thing, trying to get them off the hook can exist for a long time. Or you can just cut the line. I know it's not the best thing to do, right? You don't want that line in the ocean, but environment, yeah. Get it up to close to the hook and cut it. Because the hooks, they disintegrate and they go away from the fish. So fish is fine, okay, guys. Um, Yeah, that's true. It's a piercing. Come on. That analogy of it being hooked into something that you don't need to be hooked to, it for me, it's like the best visual. And Dallas Willard talks about it, and he says, Forgiveness does not require forgetting, but you can choose to let it go. Forgiveness is letting people off the hook. It's letting people off that hook. And like I said, forgiveness is not reconciliation, right? That's later. That's step two. If you can, if you want to, if you're in a place where that can happen, sure. Jesus would love to see that happen, but he doesn't command that portion of it yet. He calls us to love people, not control people. Other people have a decision to, be, to make in that relationship. They could say, I want nothing to do with you. I don't ever want to talk to you again. And I'm sorry you feel that way, that I wronged you, but I don't think I did. And they can just keep going on about their life. You can't change that. None of us can change that. But what we can do is let them off the hook, release them from our lives and quit pulling on that and keep trying to reel that in over and over. We got we to gotta release it. Um, and that's what Jesus is trying to do is saying just like, come follow me. My burden is light. Like, come follow me. The, the way of discipleship to Jesus is meant to be free. It's meant to transform life. And this move towards freedom is just so core to it that then what happens is you stop being a hypocrite because then you go, you know what? I don't need to hold on to that. I need to release that person, let them be free. And then you start doing that in other parts of your life because you're like, oh, someone just cut me off on the freeway and you know what, maybe they're having a bad day or maybe they're pregnant trying to get to the hospital. I don't know. Like find, find the, the, the um, I don't know, the escape hatch quickly, like just to release it and say, you know what, that doesn't matter. That, that person who cut you off can't ruin the rest of your day. They weren't trying to. At least I don't think they were. Weren't they? Maybe, I don't know. But what I can control is the release of that hook. I can control that. And that's what Jesus continually teaches. Oh, he's got a bagel. Stoked on life. Um, so the most important part of it is that little piece because then we stop being hypocrites. We start recognizing that I can, 
as I release people, then, then I can also see that the pain that they may be in, maybe they need more grace. Maybe they need more patience. And so I'm going to extend that because I've been there. I was that person. I was the one doing the wrongs. And Jesus forgave me and set me free. And now we can be compassionate and kind towards others. And so I hope you find freedom in this message. I hope you find freedom in this week of sitting with these passages. Um, that um, it, it doesn't require forgetting, as Willard points out. That there's a process. And I just want to really... I guess reiterate that, that this is a long process of releasing that and letting it go and getting to where we, we understand that we're not going to be hooked by that anymore. Um, and so that, that piece of forgiveness is, is, a, is a process. It's a journey. Um, and, uh, and so I just want to close with recognize that process, um, but what do you need to begin letting go? What do you need to let go? And, and that's Lent. That's what we're doing towards Easter is like recognizing that there are things we have to let go. There are things we need to lay down and surrender so that we can become more Christ-like. And so that's my prayer. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word that is so beautiful in painting a picture of what it looks like to receive life to the full. Thank you for the stories, the illustrations that you give us, Jesus, and what it looks like to be set free, um, to release the debts that we feel people owe us, release those burdens, release the wrongs, the evils that have been either um, done by us or done to us. Um, Help us to be forgiving people that uh, extend that to others so that we might not be hypocrites, so that we might be congruent with what it looks like to um, be in relationship with you and others, Jesus. And so um, we recognize we live in a broken world with all kinds of brokenness around us. We might experience it this afternoon as we leave this place, but Lord, help us to shine a light in the midst of that darkness. Help us to be uh, agents for change, a reflection of your peace, your love, uh, as we leave this place and go into the rest of this week. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your name.